This is Tova from Operation Tube Talk, and it's another podcast episode. In this episode, I am sitting with Johnny Morgan. Hi, Johnny. Hi, Tova. How are you? I'm great. (laughs) So we're just going to check the sound. We'll be back in one second. Okay, so this episode, um, actually, we're sitting in Beaver Brewing Company, and there'll be a lot of background noise, so I apologize if it's a little distracting. But maybe, Sarah Scott, this will keep you up, because you always fall asleep during my podcast. (laughs) And Sarah Scott is who, Johnny? my wife. Beautiful wife. Beautiful, beautiful wife. <laughs> yes. Nice so say hi to Sarah. Hi, Sarah. Okay. So um, I asked Johnny to be interviewed today because Johnny has um, kind of a cool background. Can you maybe tell everybody a little bit about who you are? Well, I am. Okay. Well, I should probably start with the, uh, the books. Yeah. Books on football. Uh, Sorry, I had to interrupt for a second because it was getting pretty loud. So we're going to try to do this as quickly as possible before the crowd steps. So... Johnny is an author, so maybe you can tell me a little bit about your books. Okay, the latest one is called For the Love of Football. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, it's really a look at the people, the games, the everyone who makes football quite what it is, um, and also a look at the language of football and the history of football in a very humorous way. So it's it's something that only fans can read and enjoy, but also Yes, I have read your book, and I learned a lot of interesting facts, <laughs> and I bought quite a few books for my family, and do you remember what I told you to write in each of the books? I do, very well. And I think you put a photo on Facebook, and it's one that I've revisited a few times. Okay. Yeah, so I pretty much asked Johnny to say, for anybody I bought the book, that uh, you have the best sister in the world, you have the best... Husband, yeah. Uh, yeah, you have husband the best husband. The you, have, yeah. you have the best daughter for my dad. Um, so, what? Maybe tell uh, everyone a little bit about your background when it comes to sports and for writing. Okay, well, um, writing uh, background is well, since I was growing up enough to have a proper job, I've been writing in one form or another. Um, from writing about very boring things like pharmaceuticals to having. More interesting to write about as a journalist, writing about motoring, um, skiing, and sailing, and then through to being a copywriter and writing those corporate words and doing some PR as well. Um, and then one day somebody asked me to write a football book, and now three months later, here I sit. Okay, that's absolutely amazing because I haven't even read one book, um, but I will be posting links to your book. <laughs> That are available on Amazon. Please do. They all took me ages. They're a lot of work. Well researched. Um, no swearing, unlike all of my writing. No, there's no swearing in them. No, I, yeah, I think that's probably one of the uh, stipulations laid down. Unfortunately, <laughs> because football and swearing really go together. I like, think so. Uh, beer and chips. Beer and chips, yeah, which we are doing right now. We are drinking beer and we're having sweet potato fries. So, or as the British say, chips. Um, so you are originally from 
south of England, um, an old town called Paul and Dorset. Mm-hmm. Um, and I never really left south of England until uh, in my 20s. And then, um, largely thanks to my beautiful, beautiful wife that I mentioned yeah. earlier, I've got to <laughs> around Europe and enjoy places like Strasbourg and Geneva and Vienna. And do you love Vienna? I do. I think it's a wonderful place. It's... Um, when we first moved here, I have to say I didn't really know much about it. I knew it existed. Yeah. I've watched James Bond films. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the one in the Prada. Yeah, the one in Prada, yeah. The, yeah. I know the, the local store near us. Mm-hmm. The Timothy Dalton's picture yeah. in the window. Still. The Volksoper um, yeah. is where they pretend to be the Bratislava Opera. They do. It's, it's very weird. When yeah. I watched that back fairly recently. Mm-hmm. And it's a bit confusing how they did that. Must have been a rights thing. And it was a scandal. It was... It was during the um, Cold War, so they couldn't film in Bratislava. And if you remember in the film, they shoot that guy through the tunnel. Yeah. From? From, was it the other side of the Iron Curtain to? Vienna. Vienna. And it was actually filmed at the Gazometer. Really? Yeah. <laughs> you have to watch it again. Yeah, yeah. I remember the, the, uh, the female guard. That's a friend of James. Uh, could be more stereotypical if uh, you tried. Yeah, I think my husband was like, she's not my type, but I find it attractive. Yeah. <laughs> um, actually, that's the film that made me want to play the cello. Uh, uh, yes, that, uh, I can't remember the name of the actress, but yeah. I, I would probably want to play the cello when I saw that when I was 15. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was a good one. Um, so you love Vienna, mm-hmm. and you have written three books, mm-hmm. and your biggest, you know, your biggest topic is obviously football for my, all my North American friends, soccer. Soccer, yeah. Uh, well, I, since I was a small boy, uh, yeah, football has been number one mm-hmm. last time. Um, yeah, so I played, I still play now, as much as my body will allow me. Um, yeah, so I played at school and when I was growing up in England, when I was being a grown-up in England, when I was being a grown-up in France. Uh, <laughs> and here I play um, in the week seven side and I play for a proper team at the weekend mm. um, Blue Danube FC Blue Danube so. FC so mm-hmm. do you guys have I mean in Canada we have something called Puck Bunnies no unfortunately we don't <laughs> um, and given how terrible our season's been to date I don't expect <laughs> the world for a long time but they are a tremendous bunch of guys. yeah and you also most of them are married with kids so uh, there's a real mix I'm I am the oldest person there. So, um, but there are, uh, there's a real mix of guys. Um, I'm the only English guy there. Um, there's an Irish guy, guy who runs it from Azerbaijan, guy from Albania, from um, Turks. You know, it's a real mix of people. It's really good fun. So football for peace. Uh, well, uh, it doesn't seem very peaceful when we play at the weekends, but uh, yeah, it's, um, you know, I wish the people I played with in England see it yeah. oh yeah. that's nice mm. yeah because um, they'd probably be more enlightened should we say ah I like that mm. okay so uh, your friends at home yeah I'm not my friends oh, it's the people, people I used to play <laughs> football in leagues with not always the most enlightened bunch of 
guys you would ever like to meet. Probably have not met them. Um, you don't want to. <laughs> so what, what would you say, so let's go into kind of the heart of football. Um, I have to, again, apologize for the sound. It might seem we're going back and forth. But what would you say is the difference between um, Austrian-style football and British-style football, like in terms of things? Because I can see Italian-style football. There's a lot of falling down. There's dramatics. There's <laughs> opera. There's pasta. What would be kind of the biggest differences between British and um, Austrian football? I think maybe it's the difference between British football and continental style football. Um, uh, though, to be honest, such is the integration of people from around the world in football. Yeah. The difference is not as great as it used to be, but um, I think British football is faster and more physical. Okay. Um, which is why perhaps when continental players arrive in England, it takes them a while to adapt. Okay. Um, just because it's yeah, it's faster and there's more contact. Certainly, when as I've played in, in Europe myself, amateur football. It's uh, I mean I never consider myself to be a particularly physical player, but um, when you play in Europe, you really have to tone it down. So okay. I come across as Roy Keane. <laughs> I'm, I'm not. Uh, Roy Keane is a. Yeah, has no. a reputation for being. I have heard that. Name. You know, okay, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I have an Austrian yeah. husband. I have watched a lot of football. Oh, okay. yeah. uh, my father doesn't understand football, soccer. Okay. Um, he thinks he doesn't understand how you can only get one point in ninety minutes. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, um, North Americans in sport. That's, that's a whole different podcast, from Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so, <laughs> yeah. I will find somebody to talk about because, like hockey. I mean, we don't get many points uh, in hockey, but hockey is pretty brutal. Oh yeah. Exactly. yeah. There's there's a Canadian joke that we say, oh, why do Canadians love to go watch hockey? It's a warm place to watch a fight. Exactly. So you know, I've seen blades of glory. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Drop the gloves. Um, so also, what would be then the difference between Austrian and British football fans? Um, well, my experience of Austrian fans, I've um, two very different experiences actually. Mm-hmm. Um, been to see a few. Few rapid Austrian being derbies um, and a few Austrian being games as well. And you have the hardcore your ultras. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're, I'm pretty impressed by them. They're pretty passionate. Um, always there, make a lot of noise. Always very organised, banners and stuff. Um, but from what I hear, you know, not again the most enlightened bunch of people you ever likely to meet. Um, but I also had the privilege of going to a first club Vienna game. Um, you t- yeah, tell me about this. It was a derby with um, a team from Dublin. Name I forget. It's terrible. <laughs> anyway, um, I went. Uh, a friend of mine knows some big fans and ultras, um, and there the vibe was really kind of left-wing anarchist. Oh. It was really kind of inclusive. You know, talking to some of the big fans, like, yeah, we you know we try and install this rule of we can't swear. You know, this is a place for families. There were, you know, the guys there with top hats on and dreads. And I was <laughs> okay, like, "This is really. Are yeah. you sure you did not dream this?" <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I didn't. I drunk the beer there not, uh, <laughs> before I got there. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was to me, it was really refreshing because football, as I know it, I mean, I, you know, I go occasionally to the UK to watch games in London, Chelsea, Tottenham, Arsenal, you know, uh, and it's pretty. Well, boisterous probably doesn't go far enough. Um, okay. It's pretty hardcore. You know, if you get among the proper fans and you're not one of them, it's pretty intimidating. 
Um, whereas this was uh, for Bobbiana was amazing. It was very inclusive. You know, and they said to all the opposing fans, "Come into our bar and have a drink afterwards." That would never happen. I've never happened rapidly. You know, normal football, yeah. the Bundesliga or the or the Premier. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's funny because in, in Canada we have the Stanley Cup with the states as well, mm-hmm. and uh, apparently there was a big game against. Think Calgary Flames, and it was another America team, and there was a bunch of fans from the states, and their car broke down in the middle of the fans, um, and they had lost. But the fans changed their tire, fixed it up, and I think that's kind of what we hope the spirit of sport would be. That's what it should be, absolutely. So. And what do you think about the, the future of Austrian football? Do you think there's like an improvement? Do you think there's going to be a big kind of? Um, <laughs> yeah, this is a very leading question. <laughs> I know, I know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean. Um, <laughs> Austria, I mean, Austria haven't qualified for the World Cup, and I know, you know, uh, Austrian fans are down in the dumps about that, but I think they shouldn't be so hard on themselves. Personally, I think Austrian football national team is in a good place. Um, um, the, when you think back to the 90s, and Austrian football was pretty... Mm-hmm. Pretty shit. Yeah. So, um, and look where they are now. They qualified for the Euros. Okay, they didn't make the World Cup, but still, you've got some good young players, and uh, and I think it's only going to get better. Um, you look at the Swiss team and how now they're regularly in the FIFA top 10 ranking, always qualified for major tournaments. And a part of that is, I think, because um, their team is made up of first, second generation immigrants. And I think Austria is going through the same cycle, a bit, a bit behind, but if it keeps embracing this, I think it will have a positive impact on the national team. So a very political statement about <laughs> the future of football, but I, I do very much agree with you. Um, and if you had to choose between two big Viennese teams, which one would you, if you were Viennese, which team do you think you would relate to more? This, that's a very loaded question. I know. Um, <laughs> because, I mean, I, I've been researching a book on Austrian football for a while now, and uh, Rapid is a very working-class team, and Austria Wien is, is a middle-class team. And, you know, I found out why and how their histories are. And, but maybe, you can tell me, maybe you can tell me a little bit about the history of that, because that would be well, interesting. the history I found out about Austria Wien is that their team was set up uh, in part by... British back in the days, back in the days of the empire. Um, <laughs> good times, good times. Um, they had lots of British British men here, and they set up football teams. And it was their children who got involved, um, factory owners, you know, set up Austria Bean. And Wait, so Austria Bean was founded by British people in part, yeah. And oh. um, so the influence, um, yeah, um, and then. Or once you introduce a sport, the factory workers want to get involved. And from that um, came Rapid. So, and there you obviously have an inbuilt rivalry between two classes, So, um, which I believe exists to this day. But, uh, <laughs> no! Wow! Well, uh, let's say they're both passionate about it. Um, but yeah, and then it went on from there. And, and Austrian football was actually very influenced, would you believe it, by Scottish football. Yeah, I know, that look on your face. Yeah, Scottish <laughs> football is shit now. Uh, uh, but um, I'm not, you know, I can't say that as an actual. But uh, back in, we're talking the uh, beginning of the 20th century, um, 
the Scottish style of football was very progressive. It was passing rather than the English style, which was just kick and run. And it was one of uh, certainly Austria Wien's, maybe even the national team's first manager was a Scottish man. Oh, um, and cool. he brought those progressive ideas. And Haggis for dinner? Well, you hope not, but maybe he did. <laughs> um, uh, so, yeah, he brought them to Vienna and in the 20s and thir- early 30s. Um, Austrian national team plus the Wunder team, obviously. Uh, and the club sides were very good. Um, behind England and Scotland, they were considered some of the best teams in the world. Huh. And the one thing I always hear whenever you know we talk about Austrian football, Cordoba. Cordoba, the... the is Cordoba, is that the miracle of Cordoba? Or is it yeah. the shame of Cordoba? We, we, well, the, the miracle. The miracle. The miracle for Austria and West Germany and the shame for Algeria. Is this some country that probably had no money? Well, no, 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 they won. I'm going to actually oh, no, have to no, read. There was the big Cordoba. No, no, actually, yeah, Cordoba is when Austria beat West Germany. That's right. Um, I'm talking about something else. <laughs> but yes, yeah, obviously, uh, it's, yeah, it's very interesting that Austria has that big kind of right, we must beat Germany at any cost type mentality, which obviously it shares with England. Um, but then I don't know why. Well, no, <laughs> no we don't have to talk about they it. Don't have to but to be honest, you know, the last, I think the last decade or more, that is, I mean, it still exists in, in England, but less so, I think, um, just because England haven't been any good. Jeremy, <laughs> you've been so far above us. Um, yeah. It's not, you know, we've not really been peers in a way. It's, uh, you know, just it's looked, not so comparable, no, comparable. We've just looked up. Jeremy, wish we were that good. <laughs> but you won't admit it. <laughs> no, no, no. But people, you know, it's uh, it's very sad that the English fans still go go. When we played Germany very recently, friendly um, in Germany, you know, there's idiots making the, you know, the you know, put their arms out, pretending to be bombers. And, uh, yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's a real shame because the English football's got. No, the last 30 years since I was a boy has got so much better mm-hmm. that we don't need, you know, brilliant people like that. No, you're going to find it in every sport. You're going to find it in every walk of life. Mm-hmm. One thing I've noticed, because I lived in Europe in the 80s, I lived in West Germany in the 80s, and then Vienna in the 90s, and I was in Bucharest and all mm-hmm. this time. One thing that seems to have really kind of disappeared is hooliganism. And why is that? Um, well, it's disappeared from, from an English standpoint. Uh, I've recently watched um, a couple of really interesting films called One Night in Turin, which is all about England at the 1990 World Cup, and Gascoigne, which is a documentary about mm. Gascoigne. And it just reminded me just how bad the problem in the 80s of was, triple hooliganism mm-hmm. in England. And it, you know, we just, whatever tournament, then, you know, English fans would just fight with the police. I mean, okay, some of the police might have been a bit over the top, but you could hardly blame them. Um, and now, uh, it's, you know, it's almost disappeared. Yeah. But Why do you think that is? What's happened? Um, I think a massive thing is Premier League and Sky, Rupert Murdoch. Oh, oh interesting. Um, it, it became, went from the working class game, to a middle class game where it was and it was fashionable, um, which goes back to the Italian 90 Gascoigne 
you know, mm-hmm. suddenly middle class game and all the millions and millions, billions now pumped in by River Murdoch and Sky just make it a much more lucrative landscape. So it changed the game, um, which uh, is good, but it was all founded on lies. And lies? <laughs> and lies. Well, after Hillsborough, mm-hmm. um, that's when things changed. Yeah, yeah. Um, the Hillsborough disaster in 1996. I forget. I don't anyway, know how they do. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, you know, it was all reported by the Sun, and it was all the little man's fault, and this was that thing was a lie, mm-hmm. basically encouraged by the Thatcher government at the time, and the police force, they were utterly corrupt. And they changed all the, the grounds from standing to seating a lot safer, so attracting people, yeah. you know, to the families, more class people. Yeah. Um, and of course, the, the main person to benefit from this was the person who owned the Sun newspaper. Yeah, of course. It was Murdoch. Ah. Uh. So, now I feel like it's but, all become very clear. But we're, we're going off on a tangent <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. there. Right? And I'm sure this could be this would be like yeah, a three-hour you know, podcast. You know, football now is becoming sterilised. It's all about the the fans in China, and it's not the local fans anymore. Yeah. It's a real it's a real shame. Um, so you think it's become a lot more corporate, and there's that kind of you're, you're losing that edge. Yeah, you're losing that which makes it everything. Yeah. Um, you know, it's um, right, the money you take on the day, the gate, it's such a small fraction of the overall turnover now. Yeah. It makes it less important in the eyes of the people running the clubs. And people running the clubs are often aren't particularly, yeah. well, they're not interested in the football, they're interested in the bottom line. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's kind of what life has become, and I think, unfortunately, I mean, it's nice that it's safer, I'm glad there is not yeah. um, hooliganism, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's interesting, I never thought about it, I, I just remember I had a computer game that I would play with my husband called Hooligans. <laughs> nice. It was hilarious, it was just a bunch yeah. of British hooligans that you'd have to get into a club and beat people up. Sounds, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's exactly what was happening, you know, it was disgraceful for the 80s. Um, but interestingly, next year's World Cup is in Russia. Where they've taken Hooganism to the level. Yeah, I watched a Ross so, Kemp. You know Ross Kemp? He. I do. EastEnders. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, one of the brothers. Yeah. Um, he uh, he has a TV show. I don't know if you've ever seen that. I'm aware of it. Yeah. He talks to hooligans around the world. It's an amazing documentary. Highly recommend it. Okay. Unfortunately, there's a lot of neo-Nazis in the hooligan crowd. Well, yeah. I mean, hooligans still exist. Yeah. Totally. I mean, especially. Uh, Eastern Europe, Russia. I mean, I mean what can, I mean, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's there, um, and, you know, I could go on a whole big round. No, we'll make that another how podcast. You, how, you, how useless <laughs> UEFA and FIFA are dealing with it, and, but, you know, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, that's not the point. <laughs> no, we'll, we'll do that the next time. Yeah, um, yeah. In your opinion, mm. who to you is the best football player of all time? Oh, Okay. Of all time, mm-hmm. um, well, if you read my book, actually, you, you'd see a uh, apparently, yes. <laughs> you, uh, I go on about this a bit. Um, obviously, you've got Pele, yeah. Pele Maradona is the kind of traditional uh, people argue about that which one of those two is the better. Personally, I would choose Pele, but I'm English and 1996, and God, he'll always be cheating Argentina. So, um, yeah, okay. So, um, <laughs> anyway, but obviously a fantastic footballer. Yeah. Um, 
We've got Johan Cruyff, can't forget him. But obviously, bring it up today, you've got uh, Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo. And Cristiano Ronaldo has, you know, he goes to strength to strength. Um, Portugal won the European Championships last year, just keeps scoring goals for fun, even though he's 33, I think, now, which by footballing terms is getting into the evening of his career. Yeah. Um, I remember watching Ronaldo the first time Portugal was playing against Greece. This, I think, was like. 2004. I had just moved to Vienna a few months before and watching Ronaldo cry and everybody was laughing because he was this young pretty boy. It was like his big debut. Um, I generally like him because I think he's actually amazing with children and I, yeah, that's a whole, that's my he's, personal he's thing. He's expecting twins, isn't he? Is he? Oh no, he's got twins. No, his and then he's got another, no, he's got two on the, one was born, there's another one. Oh, one away, yeah. Sarah got Hello magazine the other day and I, Happen to peruse it so. in the bathroom. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty so, much how. Yeah. That's pretty much how my husband reads all the gossip news as I've left magazines around. I mean, both of those guys, Messi and Ronaldo, are extraordinary. I think football will be much more place when they retire. Yeah. Interesting. And of course, you're British, so your favourite football team? Uh, I uh, my favourite team is AFC Bournemouth. So uh, as obviously my local club. So yes, and at the moment they are in the Premier League. Uh, I spent my entire youth supporting them when they were in the lower leagues and watching. So they owe you. Well, they owe me big time. I've <laughs> sat through so many dire games, paid to through so many dire games, um, uh, and so many fruitless, fruitless seasons. Um, but now, uh, in the last five years, it's all turned to gold. Uh, and only a few weeks ago, I went to Wembley. To play Spurs. Did you cry? No, I didn't cry, but I was quite happy. Yeah. Even though we lost, it was to be a Bournemouth supporter, standing at Wembley, watching a team play in the Premier League. It's like, wow! I just never thought that would ever happen. So. I'm gonna take you by the your word for it, but I oh, guess yeah. it'd be for me seeing like my favorite fashion designer <laughs> finally being inducted in the Hall of Fame of fashion. But yes, I get what you're saying. Yeah. I do like sports. I do. I do enjoy watching football. It's um, soothing to me because I don't have any, you know, money on the game. Yeah, uh, I mean, watching England is always a stressful experience. Yeah, yeah. And living in Vienna, where is the best place to watch football in a bar? Okay, the best place to watch football in Vienna, well, I normally go to Flanagan's. Um, They have lots of TV, so lots of games. and aside from there, I've been to 15, 16. Didn't they have to turn off the sound for a while? There, there was like a sound ban they had. Oh, I don't know. Okay. Um, uh, maybe. Um, <laughs> it's been a while. It's been a while, yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, I've spent a lot of it. When my football watching these days is catching up a match a day on the BBC on player. Um, but uh, I've also been to Charlie P's, mm-hmm. Bearing Stars. Uh, that's really good there. But yeah, no, I've uh, watched a game once at the British Embassy. Oh, that's that's fun. Yeah, it was just two of us in their bar. <laughs> so we snuck into the Embassy bar and watched England lose to Italy in the quarter final of Euro, <laughs> Euro 2012, I think it was. So you're all crying, the two of you. Two, yeah, two Brits <laughs> sneaking into the bar, huge TV screen. So the security is really great there. Uh, there was nobody else there. Was, was, uh, great. Yeah. So last question before we end this, and, okay. and as I said before, I'm going to be posting the links to your books, 
okay. under in the comments when mm -hmm. I post this on Monday. And I guess we have to make it Vienna based while we end it. Mm -hmm. Where is your favorite place for like really good Austrian food? Really good Austrian well, um, one of the first places I went to was the Augustine Keller. Uh, and I just remember that being. Yeah, love it. it was great. Um, big bits of meat, um, not much salad, <laughs> good beer. Yeah. So, anything you come to expect from Austrian cuisine. Pretty much. We all have scurvy now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, thank you so much, Johnny, and I hope you have a good Christmas season, which is coming up. And uh, I'll let you know when I post this. So, anything else you want to add? Thank you very much, sir. And as I usually say at the end of my podcast, again, I apologize for the sound, but, you know, it's kind of authentic. We're in a bar. So I hope you all have a great day and a great evening. And as I always say at the end of my podcast, toodles.